The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. Jesus said, I came to bring fire to the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. I have a baptism with which to be baptized, and what stress I am under until it is accomplished. Do you think that I have come to bring peace to the earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. From now on, five in one household will be divided, three against two and two against three. They will be divided father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. He also said to the crowds, When you see a cloud rising in the west, you immediately say, It is going to rain, and so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say, There will be scorching heat, and it happens. You hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? The Gospel of the Lord. O Lord, may your word only be spoken, and may your word only be heard. In the name of Jesus Christ, the living word. Amen. Now, just in case we had forgotten, I want to remind you that Jesus was a troublemaker. (laughs) He makes it very clear that there are some things that are worth division, that are worth splitting apart over, that are worth being disoriented about. And in fact, part of his mission was judgment that led to that division. And while it seems clear that he certainly didn't relish this aspect of his ministry, he certainly accepted it as part of God's will for him. And though he was uncompromisingly against the use of violence, even though some of his parables and teachings contain extremely violent imagery, it seemed that despite his nonviolent way of being, that conflict and violence and ultimately death seemed to follow in his wake, certainly in his own life, but also in the lives of his disciples. It turns out that not everyone is really interested in peace, especially the kind that Jesus promoted, which is to say, not peace for peace's sake. No simple peace at all costs for Jesus. The only peace that Jesus was interested in was a righteous peace, where the powerless had their share, and the powerful were taken down a peg. He likely would have agreed with Martin Luther King's adage that peace is not the absence of conflict, but the presence of justice. This idea can be tough for his disciples to accept that that being a disciple of Jesus, being a follower, being a student, being a pupil of Jesus, can often lead to conflict, sometimes serious conflict, before it leads to any meaningful peace. And in fact, It can cost one's very life. We may be familiar with some famous 
faithful people whose lives show this. And we heard this morning in the letter to the Hebrews, the Hall of Fame of faithful folks going back to our Hebrew ancestors and into the Christian era. And of course, as we hear, not all of those lives ended with a glorious amen to your life, friend. Some of them suffered gruesome deaths in light as a consequence of their faithfulness. Closer to our own time, we might know the example of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Some of you may have read about him or know of him. He was a German pastor and scholar who lived before the First World War, an outstanding pastor, an outstanding scholar with a loving family and a beloved fiance. He came to the United States to study at Union Seminary in New York City, and he could have stayed there, actually. He was invited to stay. He'd been very successful. What a life, New York City. But a cloud was brewing back in his native land in Germany, which he could have avoided. But he decided that Christ was calling him as his disciple to go home, to go back to Germany, to be part of the nightmare that was forming there, to be with his people. And ironically, his commitment to peace, his commitment to being a disciple of Christ, led him reluctantly to take part in a plot, a failed plot, to assassinate Hitler. And of course he was captured and put into prison. And he himself was executed in 1944, beloved, again ironically, of the guards who took care of him, who smuggled his letters out to the world and to his loved ones, to his beloved Mary, his fiancée, who let him bring in, let his family bring in Christmas trees and all kinds of things into his cell. The guards loved him, but nonetheless, he was hung for his faithfulness. No peace at any cost, no going along to get along for Bonhoeffer. Or even closer to our own time, we might think of Martin King, not a perfect man to be sure, a very human flesh and blood man, but his discipleship, his commitment to Jesus' way of nonviolence seemed to bring out the worst in his opponents. We can imagine, remember those scenes. Some of us may have seen them live on television of dogs and fire hoses and read later about lynchings and all the kinds of things that, that happened in the wake of that commitment to nonviolence. And of course, his own death. All of that had to happen before the momentous change that began then and continues in the life of our country in terms of civil rights and so forth, not just for African Americans, but for all people. Two Christians, Martin King and Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who took seriously Jesus' call to be a disciple. They lived their discipleship out on a grand world stage, and they paid with their lives for it. Fortunately, most of us don't have to live out our discipleship on such a grand stage, fortunately. But make no mistake, that doesn't mean we're not living out our discipleship where we are just as faithfully. Our discipleship can still be disorienting 
and dividing and costly. It can still lead to conflict. It can still be costly to us and to those around us. And the costs may not be obvious and grand. They may be intimate and private. But they're every bit as real nonetheless. Jesus mentions family in our passage this morning. And for many of us, summer can be a time of renewed and prolonged family contact, not all of it relaxing or recreational. Let's be truthful. In Jesus' day, family was the primary source of meaning and status. Kinship and kinship relationships defined one's place in the world, more than gender, more than race, even more than who was the emperor at the time. It was family, extended family, that shaped your ultimate commitments, that shaped the power dynamics of your community. It shaped everything. It was the idol, if you will, of Jesus' time. And, of course, Jesus takes dead aim at it. Right? Now, fortunately, in our age, there are other sources of authority and, and satisfaction and ways that we shape our lives other than family. Nonetheless, it still looms large in most of our lives as a shaper, as a former of our ultimate values and our goals and our deepest commitments and our sense of who we are as people. There's no denying that. And there are those among us whose faith has had subtle, maybe even dramatic, but certainly real costs in terms of family. There are those among us who come to worship here on a Sunday morning while a partner or the rest of the family stays home. There are those whose families resent their involvement in the various ministries in the life of the church. Now, these conflicts may be low-level, kind of a hum in the background, and they may only kind of rise a little bit on a Sunday morning, per se, but they are real, and they drain our energy nonetheless in terms of anger or sadness, anxiety. They're real. And there are those who've chosen a costly maybe financially as well as emotionally to, our, to ourselves and to others in the family, to care for loved ones in the right way. Because it's the right thing to do. But it may cause conflict in the family as to how that care is going to happen. There are those among us who may be cast as troublemakers in our families because, you know, we just can't settle for peace based on fear of making waves. We seek peace, not a ceasefire. We try to tell the truth as we see it, maybe not as tactfully or as lovingly as we might, as Jesus would have us do it, perhaps. And we hope that real peace comes. The real peace that comes from airing out things that are hard to look at. And to the extent we imagine this truth-telling is for Christ's sake, in Christ's way, we are witnesses to the truth of Jesus' declaration that, in fact, he does come 
to cause division. In Matthew, it puts it more strongly, I have come bearing a sword. Not division for its own sake, not a sword for its own sake, but as a necessary pathway to peace that is real and lasting and out of love for him who loves us without limit. I am reminded of the wonderful concluding blessing in our prayer book that comes at the end of Rite 1, which is the more traditional language that we sometimes use in our worship. And that blessing goes like this. The peace of God which passeth all understanding. Keep your hearts and minds in the knowledge and love of God. The peace of God which passeth all understanding. Beneath the tempest and division and strife and conflict that often accompanies truth-telling to ourselves and to others, Jesus reminds us of that peace that only comes when we do what we know in our hearts is right and faithful and just and true, as best as we can discern it. Like, we're not perfect. But as best as we can discern it, and live it out as faithfully and humbly as we can. Beneath that truth-telling and that conflict is peace. Discipleship can be costly and chaotic and conflict-ridden. Jesus is right about that. He tells the truth. But he also tells us the truth, that beneath that conflict and chaos and division, beneath that, there is peace waiting to be born. And in God's time, that deep peace will come. Thanks be to God. Amen.